Do you agree with me in prayer this morning? Father God, we, we just want to pause for a moment. We, we, we pray. And I hope that I don't pray by myself today, Lord, but I, I hope we, we just take a moment to just lift up those things. Those things that matter to us most. Those things that burden our hearts. Those things that stress us out. Father God, this is supposed to be that one place where we can come and lay it all out. So we can find joy and peace and patience and, and, and all of these fruit that are, that are otherworldly. They're not from here. It's from your character. It's from who you are. And you're willing to share that with us today. And so Father God, we just ask that you would use this moment to rid us of our distractions, that, Father God, we might be able to, to hear from you. And, Lord, I, I, I pray for myself, Lord, because I don't want to stand in the way today, Lord. I, I just ask that you would kind of push me to the side and that you would not allow me to say what I want to say, but, Father God, you would speak your words of wisdom through me. Meet with us here today, Father God. We, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. This morning we are continuing the series that we've been in called, What Do You Say? In this series, we've been digging deeper into these five questions that Jesus asked in the Bible, putting them into our own context to dwell on what they mean to us personally. Today's question is in John 4, verses 5 through 7. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. As Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? In my preparation and thought with this series, I've I've been looking for the question behind the question. Or rather, I've been trying to uh, psychoanalyze what, what Jesus is really after when he asks these questions. Now, compared to the other questions that we've gone through, this one is, is simple. It, it, it's, a yes, it's a yes or no response. But despite its simplicity, I found this question to be rather complex. Now, this is what I know. Every generation has their own slang words, words that they use out of context of their original meaning to mean something else. And for those of you that are here today, if you're not as hip as I am, I'd like to catch you up on some of these current slang words. The first word is fire. Fire is a good thing. It describes something amazing. You might hear a teen say, that restaurant was fire. It was not on fire. <laughs> it was fire. You might hear somebody described as being salty. <laughs> that's, that's not good. I mean, someone is bitter or angry. You might hear the word cap, but it does not mean a hat that you wear but rather it's a way to call out someone who is lying. Say, you're capping. 
decided to make these up though. And then there's one that's thirsty. And this is used not to describe someone who is parched, but someone who is seeking attention. When these words are are used in today's context, a lot of times they mean something different. There's a meaning behind them. And and I think that this story is is, is wrapped up in that same idea. There's a conversation going on, but there's something happening behind that conversation. There's deeper meaning behind the words that Jesus is using. This conversation starts in John 4, 7, but it's not until verse 16 that this woman realizes Jesus is not talking about water. That for Jesus... This conversation has always been about the spiritual and not the physical. Jesus encountered a lot of people. He healed a lot of people, but but not everybody needed physical healing. Some of them needed a spiritual awakening. And I think that we can relate to that because we've all been thirsty before. And we've all ignorantly tried to fill that emptiness with something other than Jesus. You know how I know that? Because we all sin and fall short. Some of us have even made the mistake of filling that emptiness with religion. And this is where this question really comes to life. As the woman goes to the well to get water for herself, Jesus asks her for a drink with the intention of offering her something better, living water. Jesus is letting us know that that the well is not a place where we receive, it's a place we Surrender, a place where we stop trying to satisfy ourselves and through faith offer our water to him, believing that it is he that can supply our needs through his glorious riches. A place where our effort takes the back seat so that we can worship. A place where we quit trying so hard so that we can raise our hands to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All that to say that there is a deeper conversation happening and deeper truths to uncover here. And that's where I want to spend our time today. What truths Jesus is illuminating through this question that he's asking. And this is the first piece and probably the most important. And if you have your outline, you can follow along and fill in the blanks. The gospel is good news for everyone. The gospel is good news for everyone. There are three main categories of people in the Bible. There are Jews, Gentiles, and Samaritans. The Jews are God's chosen people. They are the descendants of Abraham. Gentile is is kind of a word that just categorizes everybody who is not a Jew. And the Samaritans were the in-between. They're the half-breeds. They're not Jew and they're not Gentile. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews because really it was a reminder of their sin. In fact, the Jews hated them so much that they would often travel much, much further to avoid going to a town that had Samaritans living there. But not Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus wasn't afraid to confront the consequences of our sin. He went to Samaria on purpose because he had a message to spread. So I go on a mission trip to India 
And one of the preparation pieces they say is, it's not if you get sick, it's when you get sick. Because it's just such a different culture. The air's different. The water, I mean, it just, you're just going to get sick at some point. Well, me, I'm feeling good because it's been a month and I'm, I'm feeling great. But it's time to go home. And guess who gets sick on the plane? This guy. Worst place to get sick on planet Earth. In a tiny tin can with way too many other people. So I'm sitting in my chair and I realize, guys, I do not feel good. In fact, I I feel like I'm about to pass out. So I don't know why I did this, but for some reason I thought this would be a good idea. I got out of my seat and I just laid down in the aisle. Because I was just, I was going to do anything to keep myself from passing out. Well, a stewardess comes up to me and she says, excuse me, sir, you're not allowed to do that. And I was like, I'm glad you think I'm this dumb. I was like, listen, lady, I know I'm not allowed to do this, but I do not feel good, and I'm just trying not to puke on somebody. And she's like, oh, you know what? If you can get up, come with me to first class. And I'm thinking to myself, why did I not get sick at the beginning of the flight? <laughs> she takes me to first class. Now, when, when you're on a long-distance trip, you're on one of them big Boeing 777s. And, it, I mean, first class just hits different, okay? They're, the seats are way more spacious. They recline all the way. This lady's bringing me chocolate. It was, it was magical. I'm sitting there in first class, and then if anybody wants to use the bathroom from the, the lower class citizens in the back, they pass you and get to see your luxury as they go to the bathroom. It's pretty fantastic. It's pretty fantastic. This, to me, sums up the reason why Jesus went to Samaria. He wanted to let those people know. He wanted to let the Samaritans know there isn't a first class anymore. Because they have been treated like second-class citizens because of their history, because of their heritage, because of, of the circumstances in which they were born into. I'll read to you Luke 2, 9 through 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. For who? Not just for the Jewish people, not for the Gentiles, not for the Samaritans, for all people. For unto you is born in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. Listen, we, we cannot miss the significance of Jesus asking this woman for a drink. It's not like she had her water jar and Jesus traveled with a cup. No, Jesus was asking to drink out of her cup. He's breaking all kinds of unwritten rules, just just talking to this woman. And on top of that, he's asking to drink out of the same cup as her. The same cup as someone who's deemed by Jewish people to be dirty and unclean. And, And what this proclaims to me is that Jesus is saying, despite what you believe, I don't see you as dirty and unworthy. He saw her through the lens of his mission, which was a new beginning for all people. So here is Jesus, King of the Jews, offering salvation to the Samaritan woman right where she is. And Jesus doesn't give stipulations. He offers her living water right there. He doesn't demand, listen, if you fix your problems, if you do this, if you do that, 
then, then you'll be worthy and then you can have living water. That's not what happens. And you've got to understand that the same is true of you. Jesus sees you now through the lens of his sacrifice. He doesn't see you as yourself. He doesn't define you by your sin or your past. He hasn't placed the unrealistic expectations that you've placed on yourself. He isn't demanding that you be perfect. It's his sacrifice that declares you perfect. See, that's the power of this this interaction. Perfect Jesus offers to take her water so that she can have his. Jesus is offering a trade that really is a bad deal for Jesus. He's saying, listen, I will drink this nasty well water from your dirty cup. I'll bear the weight of your mistakes so that you can have living water so that you will never thirst again. I read a great quote online this week that said, Jesus stood before God as you so that you could stand before God as Jesus. Do me a favor. Throw the demands of religion and the garbage can where they belong. I'm so tired of this, this logic that says, you've got to clean up your life, then you'll be worthy of God. It's not true. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. You cannot become worthy of grace through your own effort. You receive grace simply because Jesus loves you right where you are. I'm tired of being asked this question as a pastor. Pastor, if I become a Christian, if if I become a follower of God, do I have to quit this? Do I have to quit smoking or cussing or drinking or or doing those things in my life? Because the answer is no. You're not required to change anything to experience the free grace and love of God. We accept the call to follow Jesus there at the well, there in our brokenness. That's why he came to meet us where we are, to meet us in our dysfunction. It's then in our pursuit of Jesus where he will convict our hearts. He will give us the wisdom and strength to change the behaviors that are toxic to us. He doesn't look in and say, wow, you're a messed up dude. He says, I understand why you're messed up. Let me show you a better way. There's a story in scripture that that I'm assuming most of us are, are pretty familiar with, the prodigal son. A son who goes to the father and says, hey, let, let me have my inheritance. And he goes off and lives and squanders it and realizes that he lived a sinful, stupid life. And he's like, finally, he's like in the dirt. And he's like, I guess, man, maybe I can go back to my father's house. At least there I can be a servant. And I want to read to you Luke 15, 20 through 23. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. He ran to him. He embraced him and kissed him. While he was a long way off, he met him out there. He didn't demand that he come home and fix his life. He met him. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. The son says to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy. That's what's in his mind. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. But the father says, no. In fact, go get the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Let him know that that he's still mine. Let's get shoes for his feet. And on top of that, get the fatted calf. Let's kill it. Let's throw a party because my son who was lost is now home. The party happens the moment he comes home. Not after he gets cleaned up. The prodigal son is at that party and he's in his father's robe and he looks sharp. But guess what? Underneath that robe is the evidence of all his sin and failure. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, not me, pastor. 
you don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't, but I, I do know that your inability to love yourself does not stop God from loving you. Don't refuse to go to the party because of what's underneath your robe. The party is for everyone. Jesus came for everyone. There are no exceptions. The gospel, the good news, the hope that we cling to is for everybody. Even the people that you don't like, it's for them too. Even for yourself, when you don't like yourself, it's for you too. You can't run from it. You go to the next piece. Expectations fuel the heart behind our worship. Expectations fuel the heart behind our worship. Everyone goes to the well to get water because we cannot live without water. I'm not sure that anybody would define that as selfish. It's how we survive. But Jesus was speaking about the spiritual. And it made me wonder what the well represents. What is it that sustains us spiritually and where do we go to find that? So I thought of church, I thought of prayer, I thought of reading the word, I thought of fellowship with God's people, I thought of evangelism, sharing the good news. But all these things fit under one category, worship. They're all different expressions of worship. And I know that sometimes we get caught up categorizing worship with with praise and music, but, but worship is so much broader than that. Worship is the way we express love for God through the way that we live. I'm going to say that one more time. Worship is the way we express love for God through the way we live. And this woman approaches the well with the intention of filling her own water jar. And Jesus says, will you get me a drink? And this catches her off guard. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And Jesus replies and says, if you knew who I was, it would be you that's asking me for water. See, this, this made me wonder if, if that's what worship is. Worship is the place where we trade God. It's the place where we sacrifice what we have so that we can receive what he wants to give us. Which means that sometimes I wonder if we leave the presence of God empty-handed because there was no sacrifice in our worship. We were unwilling to let go of our water, unwilling to let go of our plans, unwilling to let go of the way we want to live. There's somebody that did that in Scripture. His name's David. He made a pretty awful mistake that cost a lot of lives. In his ego, he said, I'm, we're going to throw a census. God was very unhappy with him, sent, sent disaster. And David sought the face of the Lord, and he sought to make it right. And so the Lord gave him instruction. He was to go buy a plot of land and, and build an altar and sacrifice to God. Sacrifice. He gets to this plot of land, and he, he asks the guy that owns it, and the guy's like, listen, you're the king. Just, just take the land. And, and, and this is the response. I want to read this. This is First Chronicles 21, 24 through 27. But King David said to this man, Ornan, no, I will buy this land for full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor will I offer burnt offerings with that which cost me nothing. So David paid Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the site. He built an altar to the Lord, presented burnt and peace offerings, 
and then called on the Lord, and the Lord answered with fire from heaven upon those burnt offerings, and then the Lord commanded an angel, and he put his sword back into his sheath. I love David's response. I will not offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Pre-Jesus, sin had to be paid for in blood. It was the only way to be made right with God. Your sacrifice symbolized and demonstrated your faith. If you were willing to give up, if you were willing to pay that cost, by living in sin and disobeying God's law, we communicate to God that we don't trust him. So the sacrifice was an act of faith to not only admit our mistake, but to reinstate our trust to God, to show that faith that we still trust him. However, post-Jesus, sacrifice bears a very different price. Jesus got on the cross, and he paid that with his blood, so we don't ever have to do that again. But that doesn't mean that there still isn't sacrifice for our worship. I want to read to you Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What the scripture is telling us is that that our worship is birthed by the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. And we acknowledge his name by making him known through the way that we live. By allowing people to see his fruit inside of us. Which is by definition how we worship. We've got to keep in mind that offering precedes blessing. And that doesn't mean that your sacrifices of worship are, are some type of payment for God's goodwill. Rather, worship is, is our expression of faith by continuing to do good and to share what we have. And then it's genuine faith that God rewards. This means the heart behind it matters. So when you approach the well, what, what, are, you, what are you hoping for? What is your attitude towards the well? What what are you expecting when you approach Jesus? When you go to church, when you kneel and pray, when you open your Bible, what what are you hoping for? Are are you hoping that Jesus will serve you? Are you hoping to serve him? And it's in that willingness where, where our commitment to serve Jesus, it conveys our faith. And it is there where Jesus offers us living water. And it is living water that gives us access to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And, and, and this is where we must confront our expectations. And this is where we have to ask ourselves a hard question. Am I here so the church can serve me or am I here so I can serve the Lord? And maybe you're like, well, that's awfully convenient for you to say as a pastor, and you're not wrong. But i got to look in the mirror and ask myself the same question. Am I here preaching to serve my ego, or am I here so I can serve the Lord? Am I here yielded to the Lord? You know why eating out is so nice? You don't have to shop. You don't have to get anything off those high shelves. You don't have to cook. You know what the best part is? You don't got to clean. You do not have to do dishes. There's a steak restaurant in Peoria, Illinois. There might be more than one, but this is the one I went to called J. Alexander's. And at that restaurant, it's one of those places where you pick your own steak and then you grill it yourself. 
This had to be an idea of a cook that was just tired of people telling him how to cook steak. He's like, listen, you want a medium rare, you want a dark, whatever you want, you cook it yourself. Get out of here. And it's, as a kid, man, I loved it. Like, fire? Really? Cook my own steak? But as an adult, it's like, isn't this what I'm paying you for? I, I don't, don't want to cook it myself. I don't want to do that. I wonder, and, and it's, since it's conception, I wonder how many people have walked in, figured out what they had to do, and then just left. And it's not that cooking's difficult. It's just not what they expected. And we face stuff like that all the time in our lives where, where our expectations set us up for failure because we had an idea of what was going to happen, and then when we showed up, it was very different. I, I wonder how it might change our local churches if we changed our expectations for God. We changed our expectations for church. What if we showed up with this idea of expecting how we can serve our brothers and sisters in Christ? Keeping in mind what Jesus showed us by example in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How can you worship God daily through the way that you love other people? Let me give you the last piece. Our lives speak louder than our worship. Our lives speak louder than our worship. By raise of hands, how many of you here today, you own something that you never use? A lot of us, yeah, yeah, guilty. Board games you never play, golf clubs you never swing, gym memberships you never take advantage of, guilty. I own 15 disc golf discs, and I bet in the last seven years I've played three times. See, as an adult, you don't have an abundance of free time. You have to make time for your hobbies, and, and when I have free time, there's just other things I want to do. It's not that I dislike disc golf. It's just not a priority for me. Despite what we say, we communicate our priorities through the way that we live. Though we might claim to worship and believe in God, what are our lives communicating? When Jesus talks to this woman, there's a part of the conversation where he confronts her sin. See, but we have to keep in mind that the Samaritans, though they respected God, they served multiple gods. And, and I don't think that Jesus was just confronting sin. He was confronting misplaced priorities. He was kindly asking her, hey, those men that you're serving, what are they doing for you? He's kindly asking us, hey, hey, those idols in your life, are they living up to the hype? Is that in which you worship other than God? Has it given you anything in return? And I know that this feels like a hard confrontation, and I don't think that it's meant to be. I don't think that it was. I think that Jesus wasn't necessarily trying to condemn her lifestyle. He was offering her something better. He was offering her something that could satisfy her. But it's impossible to, to give someone living water if their water jar is already full. Jesus is saying, if, if you lay down your water jar, you'll, you'll never need another one 
ever again. And that's what happens. This, this, this blows my mind. I remember reading this for the first time and like actually understanding and knowing what it means. John 4, 28 in this story, after this confrontation with Jesus, the disciples show back up and she gets out of there to go back to town. And it says, so the woman left her water jar and went into town. She left at the well that which she needed to get water out of the well. Why? Because she would never thirst again. Like, we get this. Like, in reality, this woman would need to drink water again. Otherwise, she would die. But can't you see the power and the symbolism here? She gained a faith that allowed her to to lay down her ability to provide for herself, to, to let go of the sin that she held so tightly to, and to begin to trust God. She gained confidence to quit worrying about today because she knew who held tomorrow. I want to ask some questions for you today. Are you filling your own water jar? And after filling that water jar, do you still feel empty? Here's a question that that you could probably think on all week this week. What is your water jar? What are you holding on to that keeps you from fully trusting God? See, the woman tried to to fill that void with men, and and none of them could quench her thirst. None of them could fill that hole in her life, that hole that could only be satisfied by Jesus. For me, sometimes it's food. Sometimes I want a snack because it makes me feel a lot better about my day. Sometimes it's entertainment. It's easy to, to sit down at the end of the day and turn the TV on and turn my brain off and not stress about things. Sometimes for me, it's, it's lust, because sometimes lust makes me feel like I'm important or valued. Anything that, that could possibly help me escape my stress. But what is it for you? What is your water jar? You know, when I read the story growing up, I, I didn't really understand what Jesus was talking about. What do you mean you'll never thirst again? Like, even if you take that from the spiritual aspect, it's not like you, you go to church and you get one experience of Jesus and you get filled up, and then all of a sudden you don't need Jesus ever again. You're good to go. But then I noticed something years later that the word thirst, it doesn't say that you'll never need to drink again. It says that you'll never be thirsty again. Thirsty is a place where we get where, where, where we're, we're desperate we're parched. We've not had anything to drink. Like, you've got to be able to see the power behind the story because he's changing this woman's entire life. He's setting her up for the future because he's saying it used to be that you had to go to Jerusalem and pray. But I'm about to die and get on a cross, and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and you'll be able to pray and access me anywhere you go. He's saying, listen, there's coming a day where you're never going to have to thirst again because I'm going to be available for you. And it's your fault if you don't drink me up. No matter where you are, unless you're driving, don't do that. You can get down on your knees and pray. No matter where you are, you you can take the Bible with you and read it. No matter where you are, we have access to, to phones where we can call people and say, hey, I'm struggling. People that know the word, that they can speak truth over us. If we don't take the opportunity to seek Jesus, that's on us. He's saying, you don't have to be thirsty again. 
because I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm available to you at all times. Listen, I don't think that Jesus wants you to feel bad about your choices. But I do think that he's got to let you know that you've made some. Because if we don't understand that we've made some bad choices, it's hard to change that, right? That's why the law came. The law came to show us, hey, you've made some bad choices. But the law couldn't save us. So Jesus came and he said, I I don't come to condemn you. I come to save you. I come to free you from that law. He really just wants to offer a different path for you. And I don't know where you are today, and and maybe for some of you, you you just needed to understand how much he loves you. I know we get get so caught up in thinking that that our sin and our trouble and everything that's happened to me, man, it's it's disqualified me. It's, It's too big. God can't handle this. That's just ignorant. The God of the universe that created you, that died on the cross, he can handle anything that's happened to you. He can bring you victory. And maybe for some of us today, it's, it's, it's just about shaking up that mentality of, you know, when I pursue God, what, what is my attitude? Am I in it? Am I doing this religion thing just so he can, he can give me nice things so I can find peace, so I can, I can be better? Or is it, you know what, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to serve you because I know you got a better plan. I don't know. But today we have an, an opportunity to respond. And whether or not you need to come and pray, and you can pray by yourself, or if you come down on this side, well, somebody will come pray with you. Just don't miss out on a chance. Ask Charlie to sing this song. To me, it's all about coming back to the heart of worship. And the heart of worship is that trade that I talked about at the well. And the altar is a great place for that to happen and say, God, here's all my junk. Here's all my stress. Here's all the things I'm trying to fill my life with to find peace. I want to give it to you so that you can give me living water. Don't miss out on a chance to respond to Jesus today.